So, Sam, just make sure you get back over to Aunt Ruby's uh, website mm-hmm. and give them a one-star review because <laughs> – because you ate so many peanuts that your jaw got tired. That's what I'm saying. I'm I, saying think- <laughs> I only eat peanuts a handful at a time, and after two handfuls, my jaw got tired. One star. <laughs> Mix soft peanuts, Aunt Ruby. Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 263 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm sitting tall. I'm Sam, and I'm wearing a blue shirt today. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is June 14th, 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. Swears. We're going to do them a lot. So just be ready. Uh, We'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for letting us grab your money. Let's talk about life and the world. Oh my yeah. God. I do want to say, though, before we even get into that, Sam mentioned his shirt being blue as a sort of defining characteristic, and that sounds silly, unless you're looking at his video right now, which I've never seen a more blue picture in my entire, because every wall is blue. <laughs> Sam's shirt sure is that. blue. There's, There's also a mirror, mirror on one of the There's doors. a mirror reflecting blue stuff, so mm-hmm. it's just a blue void with Sam's head floating in the middle of yep. it. Yep. What was that movie, Crouching Tiger, that like has different sort of color motifs for the different sections of the story? Yeah. Is that I right? Really intense about it, yeah. Also that also that weird comedy show with James A. Caster, which is fucking stellar. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody That's true. should go watch that. That's a three parter. Each one has a different color theme for I wish some I could just like reason. Like put a filter on this to sort of just shift the color around depending on the mood. Because the thing is, like, it's it's called color grading, right? Or color keys mm-hmm. if you're doing uh-huh. uh, like 3D movies and stuff. They use it to make sure that you know, like, if you whip back and forth between a couple different, you know, segments of the story, that you actually know almost where intuitively it is, where it is based on the color schema. Well, this is the weird thing is because Sam's all blue, there's clearly, like, sun coming in on half of your face, though, right? But mm-hmm. – but except for that, because of the blue, which you know, blue filters always use in movies to say it's nighttime now, you know, it has mm. this very upsetting kind of a confusing vibe of it's like exactly <laughs> daytime and nighttime simultaneously. This is how I keep or you it's guys winter. toasty during the podcast, you know, I'm just like, I need to put you guys on edge so we can yeah. pop off. About industry stuff. Maybe, maybe I could work on – because I know in The Matrix, uh, anytime they show sort of the inside of The Matrix in the it's, simulation, it's, it's, it's kind of like a sickly, diseased green. Mm-hmm. Like it's a green where you're like, something's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I need to figure out how to, how to get that vibe going. Yeah, I think you, have, my, you used to have a green screen back in your, in your basement. Ooh, don't you? Yeah. I do. I'm looking at it two feet away from me. I got to get that thing put Hang up. Hang that up. Yeah. Uh, all right, we need to talk about lacrosse balls. Okay, listen, everyone. Yeah. I have done physical therapy for my back to like fix it because it was hurting like hell. Uh, I have done, I don't know, I bought some other stuff to like try to fix my back or fix my body from having various pains. Okay, and then mm-hmm. bought some of these lacrosse balls. Literally, it's like a, I think it's just called a lacrosse ball. Like they're roller just thing. hard rubber balls. It's like a hard rubber ball, right? And they were, they were called lacrosse balls because it's the size of a lacrosse ball. It's not an actual lacrosse ball, though you could use one. Uh, apparently, people also use tennis balls, golf balls, whatever. Point is, I spent $12, okay, after mm-hmm. months of doing PT stuff. And also with the the realities of the pandemic, you know, I can't go get – in no way can I get a massage right now. Like, that's just not happening. So I got to figure out how to how to handle this myself. And so you get one of these lacrosse balls. For like $12. Actually, two of them for $12. And then oh. you roll around on this thing. So that's the weird part because it is it is odd because you put the ball on the ground and then you sort of like roll your body around on like on it, right? Which sounds mm-hmm. like it's easy. Weirdly takes a strange amount of coordination and strength to do, which is so I was like with the one-star complaints that these balls get is someone's like, I didn't realize that you would have to like – be doing push-ups the entire time, right? While you're rolling your body around or, you know, whatever else. It doesn't but really it, seem like the ball's fault that, you know, that you right? didn't give it a one star. <laughs> the ball is just being a ball. And if we're all, the I mean, I think we can all say it's doing a great job <laughs> being a ball. It, so what these things do, though, is is you, you lay on it and it basically gives you a deep tissue massage, right? But exactly, exactly where you want it and exactly how painful you want it. And so – it's one of those things like I thoroughly enjoy if I'm getting massaged, someone just like beating the hell out of me, right? It's like 
I'm into Except it for the one time you got literally caned. That was that, yeah, I, I, that actually <laughs> happened. I think we talked about there, this. There is a line you there, we did. There is a line you can cross in terms of beating the hell out of somebody during a massage. Yeah, you yeah, think that was yeah. Once the cane line. comes out, that's probably time to <laughs> once a weapon a weapon enters the scene. Yeah. It's so much. in this case, what I what I'm able to do that is I'll go for a run or something. Come back upstairs, get showered up, so, you know, cool down, not sweat anymore, and then just like throw over these balls in the ground, put it under my foot, roll it around for like. 30 seconds. Foot feels better. Amazing. Okay. Just lay down on it. Now my back, roll around for like 10 more minutes. Just like, just carving up, you know, that place between your shoulder blades and your spine where it's like, there's just knots back there. Just, yeah. just rolling that ball in there. Hurts I so assume bad. The, I assume the whole time you're rolling around this ball, you're just like, oh yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, I like, ah, that's usually just screams. Uh, a lot of swearing. Can we, can we, can we loop back? On this idea that somebody bought a ball and gave it a one-star review <laughs> because because they personally don't have the core strength to use the ball properly. I think it's sort of uh, – I mean metaphorical isn't even the right word. It's just literally the same thing that everybody reviews anything. That's how people review anything. games. They're like yeah. – Seth I couldn't figure this. out how to click on this thing, you know, one star mm-hmm. review. Right. But the but the idea that like this thing does literally 100% of the things that it says that it does perfectly, yeah, which, which is which it's a ball. ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that you would give it a one star – you would give the ball a one star review because of something you did. Well, if, if you take this back to, say, Quadrupus Rampage, we made exactly one promise with Quadrupus Rampage. We said – be a quadrupus, go on a rampage. Anything that was below a five-star review on that game made absolutely no sense because we delivered on the one promise yeah, that we made. there you go. Mm-hmm. That's right. Not our fault. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine there's scenarios like somebody buys a 45-pound uh, plate, you know, for a, for like a, a barbell. And then they go to one-star review and they're like, it's too heavy. Too heavy. <laughs> or, not, or not heavy enough. I bet you anything. I bet you absolutely anything that if you were to go look at Amazon reviews – for barbells. There will be complaints about the exact heaviness of that barbell. <laughs> this barbell's too long. Yeah. It's the length of a barbell. It's That's how long they are. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Seth had mentioned this because uh, we started watching Parks and Rec. And uh, Seth had mentioned that the, the scenes where Leslie Nope is in front of uh, like a group of civilians who are talking about yeah, their, their town issues. meetings. Yeah. Town oh, town so meetings. good. Are absolutely hilarious, and if you're a person who makes products, especially, you will get you'll be especially tickled by them because they sound exactly like the complaints that we get on occasion for all of our games. So one of them, I think, was uh, was the person who was like, "I found a sandwich in the park, and there was no mayonnaise on it." <laughs> yeah, and they were like, "Who eats a sandwich in the park without mayonnaise?" Yeah. and they're screaming at the- <laughs> like, "What?" And then- and then, uh, and then, like a random person always tries to start a chant about something. Yep. And uh, the best, the best scene, if you haven't watched Parks and Rec, highly recommend. The best is there's a, a scene in one of the earlier seasons where there's a, a delegation from Venezuela, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Coming in, that whole episode uh, is gold. Fr- and and Fred Armisen is uh, playing like the ambassador, um, and he's so confused because he's like, "Where are the armed men who take these people to jail?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. he's got this whole spiel about it. Uh, but anyways, uh, okay, so lacrosse balls, yeah, um, big. They are they are lacrosse balls, hundred percent, five out of five stars. Yeah, honestly, and uh, yeah, if you, if you've had some back pain or whatever else, uh, or I know because everyone's switching to work from home setups if you haven't quite gotten you know your good ergonomics your ergonomics just take yeah. get one of these things just roll around on it for like 10 minutes yeah, my my wife has a has a thing so she she does that also and has been doing that for a while and and, and said it's very good but she also has these big foam rollers so like so they're they're like a i don't know eight inches in diameter probably something like that yeah um, yeah and they're really long and apparently and you just kind of like you just lay parts of yourself on them and then use your body weight for the pressure part and then you just kind yep. of roll back same forth. idea so, so she's been doing this on, on her legs in particular, because um, apparently, like that, somehow it's it's like it's like flattening your muscles. You know, you're, it's like it's like running your muscles through a roller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried this, and it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced my whole life. Because it turns know? out you're probably just made of knots at this point. You know, well, no, but it wasn't that kind of pain. It was just like it was. It made my it made all my joints feel like they were had too much like weight on them or so. It was the whole thing was just horrible, and I couldn't figure out. I was like, this is just something I got to get used to. 
Or am I – do I have too much old man stuff going on you know, where, where I can't actually participate in this kind of an adventure? So it kind of threw you into like a, a deeply unsettling emotional pain. Sort well, this is the thing is, is – Yeah, because when, when you're doing you know, this, this kind of stuff, there's usually a pain level that's, that's involved and appropriate, right? But if you've never done that thing before, then you don't know what the – That's very true. Yeah. You don't know where it is. And so it's one of the things you have to be careful about. So, you know, we're not doctors. Uh, if you're going to roll on some lacrosse balls, talk to your doctor. Due to your point of being comfortable. But I think, yeah, I mean, this happened with my foot, my left foot. And this is one of the weird things you find is you find out all the places where your body, like, because I was like, this hurts like fuck. Uh, like right underneath my, like in sort of in the middle right side of my left foot. Uh, and I was like, I wonder if this just hurts. If this is just like a place that hurts, right? You know, to mm-hmm. put some pressure on it. And so I did it on my right foot, felt fine. And I was like, Oh shit! That means that like something's wrong. There's with something the going on over there. So I rolled it more, and then it felt better after a couple of days of doing that. So yeah, you're probably discovering all kinds of weaknesses. Honestly, that you yeah. didn't know you had. Turns you out know? my left hip's like super weird. I don't know. I mean, I've actually known that for a long time. But uh, yeah, there's other. It's just all that stuff. My left hip is also weird. What is with us in our it's, hips? It's it's possible that there's some kind of genetic link. I couldn't explain it, something. but there might be. <laughs> Seth, how are, how is your left hip doing? My hips are, my hips are great, <laughs> shapely. They cannot lie. Supple. Uh, it's because yeah, of all just, the squats. Just, just 100% fantastic. Uh, we also need to talk about this uh, chocolate and peanut butter technique. Okay, yeah. I don't I know what wanted, this means. So here's the thing. When I would go to the grocery store, because of this is a thing that, you know, was a thing you used to do before the pandemic, I mm-hmm. would always buy usually like a Reese's Reese's cup, you know? Oh, yeah. I miss sort of I miss uh, aisle candy. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the sort of personal snack to check, check out candy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that was a that was a thing I got to look forward to every week. And I hadn't really thought about it too much because, of course, it wasn't it was hard to even notice that that this. This love of mine had disappeared, frankly. Um, yeah, there's just a, there's a piece of your soul that was missing, but you just, just didn't notice. So, a Reese's piece. piece. A Reese's so, piece. In sort of like a cascade of discoveries this past two weeks, first, I was eating a banana, and Diana was like, you should put some peanut butter on that. And I was like, but then I'd have to dip this entire banana into the peanut butter <laughs> jar. I don't know why that's how I thought this would happen. <laughs> that would be, that would be insane. <laughs> There's it's, simply no other way. I didn't just squint at it. And she was like, just use the fork. It puts the peanut butter on the fork and then put it on the banana. And I was like, whoa. And so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. And I was like, this is fucking delicious. Okay, fast forward to a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. We get a fresh load of chocolate bars in from our you know, delivery, some Instacart, whatever, groceries, show up at the house. I'm eating a what, piece what of chocolate. What kind of chocolate bars? This is important. I just have to know. So this is the, it's uh, I think the lint. Sea salt chocolate. Ooh. That's it. And the reason I like that one is because I think it one tastes absolutely ridiculously delicious. Okay, that's the I guess the only mm-hmm. one reason for that. So yeah, I mean it's chocolate. <laughs> yeah, what else? So you don't need to explain though, any further. <laughs> the dino always makes fun of me because I'm usually I'm constantly doing weird things in terms of experimenting. Uh, like I'll get I'll find something that works really well, and then I'll try a bunch of other ways to do it that usually are worse before I go back to the original. Right. That's but the only way you find out. How else would you know? Exactly. Sometimes it works out. So I was eating a piece of chocolate, and then I was holding the second piece that I had decided to eat. And I suddenly thought about that banana, and I was like, I'm I could just scoop banana goo with this. No, not, well, not quite. I was like, <laughs> I could just rub peanut butter onto this piece of chocolate. Or use a piece of chocolate to scoop peanut butter. I like how, I like how at the beginning of this banana thing – the concept of rubbing peanut butter on something was just like you can only dip things in peanut butter. That's the <laughs> you can only dip <laughs> things. In it. And now that now that now oh, that you've like been discovering fire, your mind is open to the possibilities of rubbing mm-hmm. peanut butter on things. So I started <laughs> rubbing peanut butter on these chocolate pieces before I eat them. Holy shit! Yep. Gonna be honest, I have I don't know if I've tasted a greater thing in my life. Then that's a pretty good strategy. Did you guys? So you've, you've invented a Reese's cup. You've invented yeah. a Reese's cup. Uh, did you? So, so last weekend, after I believe after the podcast, I was telling Sam and Seth, I was like, "You guys you need to treat yourselves and buy some Aunt Ruby's peanuts." I, and did, I know you guys both ordered them, but I haven't heard anything since. So now I need to know. I ate. How the, are those Aunt Ruby's peanuts? The one word of warning that I did not get from you. So this is my one star. Did uh, you cut yourself on the thing? Uh, no. Okay. Though it is struck, but was actually that the peanuts are so 
so powerful that it hurts your jaw after a short amount of time yeah. if you're shoving them into your mouth with high velocity, which of course is the yeah, because you're right. you're used to those <laughs> those uh, those shitty like those peanuts that just disintegrate. They just, just yeah, in your but mouth, these yeah. ones like you have to you have to you gotta chew them. Yeah, you gotta chomp those bad. You gotta crunch to them because the next step though is to take those peanuts with some with some chocolate and then you just crunch Don't it all at the it. same time. Oh my oh, god, that is that is way better than even the peanut butter because there's something about like. You're creating the peanut butter by eating it, right? I'm going to do this after this podcast. I'm going to go down. Oh, my God. I'm going to have a time. So, Sam, just make sure you get back over to Aunt Ruby's uh, website Mm -hmm. and give them a one-star review because (laughs) because you ate so many peanuts that your jaw got tired. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to say (laughs) I only eat peanuts a handful at a time, and after two handfuls, my jaw got tired. One star. (laughs) <laughs> Mix soft peanuts, Aunt Ruby. There's simply no other way. Uh, there's no. no other, and it's this clearly a, this isn't a me problem. This is a product problem. This yep. is the problem with these peanuts: is that I ate them a hand, two handfuls, right back to back, and my jaw got tired. Mm-hmm. One, one star. Ridiculous. Okay, I, I feel like this needs to be a recurring segment on the podcast where we give products one star reviews because of our own personal failings. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> let's do it. I'm in. Uh, All right, let's talk about studio news. The big news of this uh, past week is that Level Head Patch 1.18 went into beta. Why Patch 1.18 and not 1.1? Because numbers aren't real. Mm -hmm. Well, numbers are real, but their meaning is whatever you want it to be. Their meaning is like life. You know, you you get to decide your path. Yeah, and it's, we it's an encoding problem, right? It's just you're you're just mapping a number onto a concept, and like, what what is one? You know, it could be whatever mm-hmm. you want it to be. And if you have one point one, those are just two ones. Which which Why one is, is which? That? What are they even doing? Yeah, what are we'll they probably, for? We'll probably will name this patch once we actually get to the point of, you know, doing the marketing bit with it. Mm, well, Currently, it's yeah. So at the moment, uh, at the moment, we're calling it the void because, of course, it features a large number of uh, of creatures that have emerged from the void. It has a new power up where Giratin can use void magic to summon runes and teleport, mm-hmm. uh, which is very spooky. People have been playing around with it and having a great time. My favorite thing of this patch—I don't remember if we talked about it in the podcast—is the input switch. Did we talk about this? Yeah, I think pretty sure we, we did. So people have been playing a refresher. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a switch that reads the buttons you press. So it doesn't read anything about like what's happening in the level. It actually reads your your button presses. So if you push the A button on the controller, you can make that make that switch respond to that. Um, and you can even ha- you can even like have the switch only activate under certain conditions. So if you want to do that thing that a lot of old school games do, where like you walk in front of a door and press up to go into it. You can now recreate that mechanic using portals and eye switches and stuff. Um, so people have already started making DDR games, which I knew I knew immediately. I was like, "This is <laughs> this is going to happen." Um, but yeah, there, this, this basically opens up the level editor into being like a mini game editor, and it, it allows people to make aspects of the level that change depending on what button you, buttons you press. Or combinations of buttons um pretty much guaranteed somebody's going to make a pseudo konami code thing or or even like developers will probably add a dev exits that they can unlock by Mm, using some you know Mm -hmm. some key key combination so lots and lots of uh, cool stuff are going to come out of this i'm very excited um let alone like all the new enemies and And it isn't it isn't beta so so that dropped to the beta channel on friday so if you're listening to the on Steam only, but I think this week it's going to open up to to Android and iOS, maybe. Um, I think so. Yep, probably so. By the time you listen to this podcast, if you want to go jump in and and participate in being in the void, you can go do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it is going to be in beta for quite some time, um, just because our our time is fairly well split right now between a bunch of different things, um, and so. So just know that that's happening, and, and also still have to, to get through, through cert. console cert. Yeah, and, and cert is still at least the the last we knew very delayed due to COVID yep. problems. So yeah, uh, yeah, so it's going to take a while. So so speaking of splitting time, I want to talk about this interesting uh, phase of the studio that we are now entering into, which is this kind of uh, between projects state. So. 
this this I like to use the analogy of if you're played Sonic the Hedgehog, you know that you can you can run right, you can just run left right, and you have some acceleration, and you have a certain top speed. But Sonic can also do a thing where he tucks into a ball and doesn't move for some time, but charges up with an incredible amount of energy and then blasts forward like a just like a bullet mm-hmm. and that you will go a lot faster in the long run uh, if you stop in the short run. And I think this is a great analogy for kind of where we're at, uh, which is before we just like jump right into building the next game, um, we have a lot of work to do. We got to we got to stop and we got to spin up our hedgehog ball. So mm-hmm. uh, what that amounts to is is taking a look at all the things that sort of slowed down progress in Levelhead and fixing all those things. One of those big things is Bscotch ID, which is mm-hmm. in all of our older games. It was the first web tech that Adam developed. Um, and it, it basically make, makes it so that it's very hard for us to maintain those older games. And that just that just kind of creates like a constant low level of tech support for us and, and other problems. And so – And means our, we can't uh, take advantage of things. So, you know, on the off chance that somebody came to us and said, hey, I want to put Quadrupus Rampage on the, the next Ouya, the Ouya of our new generation. The you know? Ouya 2, the, the sequel Ouya to the two. famous Ouya. Uh, then, you know, as enticing as that deal would be, we couldn't participate, which is, yeah. you know, a bummer. Yeah, so those games are basically trapped on the platforms that they were born in. They can't be modified. Um, actually, and, people may not even know that actually there, there is a version of Quadrupus Rampage for PC – do you guys oh, remember yeah. this? That that yep. this, was, this was before my time, but but Sam and Seth sold it through like box.com or some weird service. Yep. Uh, so it was, so oh, you, you did, right. yeah, it was it was available through some weird like executable. I forgot we even sold it. I thought it was just like a yeah. Dropbox. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was there was a thing called Cellbox, which you could Cellbox. That's what it was. You could sell temporary links to Dropbox files. Mm. Which is super cool because, like, there was no itch, there was no uh, uh, readily available digital yeah, storefront that you could yeah. you could just like, was, put a game was, onto. Yeah, because you couldn't put things on on Steam at this point. Steam didn't even have a green light yet. Yeah, and so we were like, well, we want to sell the PC version of this game, but nobody will let us. So <laughs> yep. we just we'll do it this way. Uh, and also things like Stripe or uh, Square, those didn't, didn't exist, exist either. Yeah, so it was so really if you hard to, to set up a storefront. Yeah, so if you wanted to sell something, you had to like solve the tax problems of selling in every country, you know, as like a, as a a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, so we're, our, our plan right now is to basically say, we recognize that even though, even though these older games, I mean, let's be real, they don't make money. They just, they just don't, they, they make uh, I think they make enough money that, that between the six of us, maybe one of us can get a stick of gum a week or Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, but we also recognize actually that maybe even there's a sandwich a week actually. Yeah, like that's true. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not nothing. Um, but uh, we recognize that you know these games are an important part of uh, the history of the studio and also an important part of the portfolio. We still have players who who love playing those games, and we want to keep them alive. And that just means uh, doing the work to to bring them up to speed and get B Scotch ID out and mm-hmm. put Rumpus in. And so we're doing all kinds of fun stuff with that. I mean, it'll, it'll even be the case that you'll you'll be able to, uh, or at least here's what we're, what we're currently working on, is the ability to log into Rumpus using Bscotch ID. That's actually already available on the website. Yeah. Uh, so so we're, we're kind of a, this is, it's such an interesting challenge because of course Bscotch ID has all this data, it has all these features and stuff, and we have to figure out how do we preserve everything that, that matters and bring it into Rumpus um, in a way that yeah, doesn't we need to like- bring all the data into Rumpus, but also we need to bring in the functionality. And, and the data in Rumpus is different. It's a different kind of a database, different kind of store. Everything is different. And so we have to find a way to go from – and then we have, to, we have to basically be able to support legacy clients while we're updating new clients. Right. So Because some people may not have uh, updated to the new one, so we can't just yep. like pull the plug on the thing. So there's lots of interesting challenges. Um And then on top of that, we have to figure out uh, for the next game, make sure that all of our – Tech that we developed for Levelhead that we get to that we get to keep using it because we we, we solved a lot of problems in Levelhead. Yeah, it's like, one of the major benefits of if you if you succeed long enough as a studio is you actually start building up your own sort of studio toolkit that lets you go faster making the things you tend to make right. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. if you don't get to take advantage of that after game number six, then like that's a 
that's a huge punch in the productivity gut, you know, I mean, yep. you can't. Yep. Yeah. So we don't want to reinvent every wheel. Uh, we want to be able to, for example, keep our Xbox sign in stuff. Yeah, and- a lot of this stuff where you're just like, God, I want to ever do that ever again. Not the fun. Yeah. Part. yeah especially um, because we had to, you know, it is not just the technical problems either. It's that we had to make sure that all this stuff conforms to certain requirements on each different platform. Yep. And so being able to already not have to resolve any of those problems again and just have them right. have the code that already solves the the platform requirements um, is because it's one of those things too. Like yeah, you can you can always go rebuild some stuff from scratch because sometimes that is a, a more efficient move, right? But what you will what you will forget on your way to doing that was that. It's not just the tech that you're replacing, right? There, there were reasons that all the stuff is the way that it is. And if you ever forget why a certain thing is the way that it is, and you're like, oh, this is dumb. Let me just fix this, right? You may now well, have just given yourself another week of work in the future because it was mm-hmm. it was actually had to be that way for some external purpose. Well, and e- even worse is <clears throat> here's a here's an interesting uh, you know hypothetical. Let's say we do go ahead and as we work on the next game, which we believe is Crashlands Two, um, as we as we go to work on this. Let's say, you know, two years in, it's like, okay, it's time. It's time to solve these uh, these cert problems for the Switch or something like that. Uh, we, st- we start working on solving those problems, and we do. But then we find out there's some new requirements, so we, we fix those things. But then we go back and look at Levelhead, and we're like, oh, my God, Levelhead doesn't meet these requirements, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So, so then what do we do? Do we redo all that work again? Uh, no. Right. So what we have to do is is update all of our systems um, so that everything is centralized. And if we like solve a particular login problem or, or cert problem, that we're able to push that solution out into all of the games of our portfolio. And we've been actually um, into this with Crashlands because we we, had, we were working on a, a bug fix patch, I think, for for Switch. And then we tried to tried to skid it through cert. And we couldn't because there's a new a new requirement got added or a new or a new test got added that we previously didn't have to meet. And so we didn't even know it was a problem. And then suddenly we did. And now we're like, shit, because, <laughs> and it had to do with actually a set of problems that we have already solved for level head. Um, yep. That we couldn't bring back into Crashlands mm-hmm. because things were not modular enough to allow for that. Yeah. And so this is, it's an interesting problem that I think if, if you're, if you're early in your game dev uh, career as a smaller st- studio, it's something that you're not really going to think about is the cost of maintenance. Um, it's the cost of, of having a portfolio of games that you want to keep alive, but while wanting to be able to move forward with your new game projects. Um, because there's, there's, a, there's a term in software engineering called software rot, which I think is a, it's a pretty good term. Um, but it's, it's basically the idea that a piece of software gets developed in an ecosystem that has like a certain set of context. Like maybe it was made for Windows XP or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and over time, the context changes and eventually the software reaches a point where it just no longer is dead. It just no longer functions at all. Or to get it to um, function, the requirements are very – so if you think of like COBOL mainframes, right? Which still run in a really enormous amount of our infrastructure, but uh, but the number of people who actually know how to manage those and maintain that data is so tiny that you can basically like you can write your own check in terms of getting paid for, because because it's so hard to migrate that data and to deal with it that that because there's the, 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 everything is just so different now than what it was you know in the in the COBOL days. So this is actually one of the reasons that during the COVID stuff that uh, that. Everybody, all the different United States states um, uh, unemployment offices basically were unable to handle it was because they were based on these old COBOL databases that hadn't been updated in literally 30 years, right? And that they couldn't just add hardware to because it was too complicated and nobody knew how to do it. And they couldn't just hire more people because the job market for that is so tiny, right? That there was basically no way for them to quickly expand. Yeah, and so this is kind of so that even if things are actually because, but if you think about that, that stuff's been working for thirty years or whatever, right? With like Un, under a very specific fragile, set very specific of unchanging fragile, circumstances. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as soon as you get outside that circumstance, if you haven't been able to update things as you go to take advantage of newer technologies and you know and, and newer concepts, um, and to take advantage of in the case of something like COBOL, a broader uh, a broader talent market of people who know how to program something, right? Because um, often, even if a language is better than another language it, for its specific purpose, it might still be better to move it to the 
you know, to the worst language that has more people who could program in it, right? So yeah, you just get you just get stuck in these, and it's, it's it's kind of funny idea that you can have a piece of software that is unchanged, even when it, even when its actual like physical context in terms of the machines it's on don't change, right? At some point, something is going to happen, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter that it worked perfectly fine then, because if it takes ten years to break, and you're like, oh shit. Hard drives don't even exist anymore. I can only find SSDs, right? Yep. Except for these old hard drives that have stopped. Nobody's making them anymore, so they're all like three years old, and I have to buy them for like $500 a pop on eBay or whatever, right? Like that's the kind of shit you run into if you don't keep moving your stuff along with how the the tech and the job yeah, are. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's such a, a red flag like to, to me when I when I hear about a, a company that, that – Oh yeah, all everything that we do runs on we we only use Windows XP on our computers. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that means they're under because, such a mountain of tech debt, and they have no good. Yeah, and yeah. the fact is, like, how how long do you think this is going to be able to keep going for? You know, mm-hmm. you've you've built your castle on quicksand, yep. uh, and it's it's sinking slowly. And you're like, well, I mean, we can still see out the windows. Like, yes, they are at ground level now, yeah. but like we and can the, we and still the have sunlight coming. Keeps getting higher, right? And, and this is basically the experience that we had with Bscotch ID, which was that. Which was when we first started. When I first started making Rumpus, the idea at that time was, well, let's make Rumpus first, right? Because we're using a level head anyway. We'll we'll sort of design it in the context of level head. We'll make it. We'll make it first, kind of figure out how this is going to work, and then figure out how to bring stuff over. And what ended up happening is the longer the longer we let we let uh, Rumpus develop without trying to bring in Bscotch ID, the sort of the more just divergent these things were becoming, mm-hmm. but also the more things were slowly going wrong with Bscotch ID, right? And, yep. and then not being addressed because like we'll just deal with that later. And so I mean, we, we got we got people sending in bug reports when they're like, when I log into Bscotch ID on Android on these games, it just crashes. And yeah, this has been the case for months, and we're like, we know, but but there's <laughs> nothing we can <laughs> do, right? So that's that's just it. what it is. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that that's the phase that we're in as as a studio is is basically we're we're saying before we move to the next thing, we need to get our fucking castle out of the quicksand, get a foundation under uh, there. We need to get, we need to strengthen the foundations of things and develop systems to make sure that and also and also go back and and like one of our core studio principles is you know always know why right and and looking at this situation that we're in um, and ask ourselves how did this happen what what structures do we have in place that allowed this to happen or even encouraged it to happen mm-hmm. and, and how do we change those structures to keep this from happening uh, going forward. So it's, it's a very interesting time and it's – and I think kind of depending on your personality, you can – this can maybe rub you the wrong way in certain cases because it doesn't feel like you are, quote, producing um, because at the end of the day, you will look at the stuff that you have and it will be the same stuff that you started with. Yeah, your best case scenario is ended up right back where you were, which is things work, right? Mm-hmm. But Things work, yeah. But now they are – Malleable. They're changeable. They're flexible. They're modular. You can move forward much faster. It's the it's the Sonic Hedgehog spin, right? Uh, you you're you didn't move for a while, but now you get to go super fast. Um, and th- this, I think, is is wrapped up neatly in that quote: uh, "Don't mistake activity for progress." Just mm-hmm. just because you're producing stuff doesn't mean you're actually uh, moving forward in a in a meaningful way. Um, so, anyways, that's that's kind of where we're at as a as a studio. It's it's kind of this uh, transformative shoring up our our uh, our issues stage. Uh, so, let's talk about some industry news. Now, last week, of course, we talked a lot about the uh, the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement, and itch.io put together this bundle for racial justice, which is where developers could put their games into this itch.io bundle, and all the proceeds go to uh, Two causes uh, for for promoting racial equity and justice, and they have raised uh, about I think at the time of this recording about six and a half million dollars. Yeah. It is wild. There's it is seventeen hundred games in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, if you want just to have the games, just <laughs> all of the games, if you're like, I'm interested in playing games. Just you know, video games as like a, a universal concept, mm-hmm. and it's all indie stuff on it, right? So it's like any mm-hmm. any possible game game concept you can imagine is represented in there. 
Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot of like weekend hobby games where, you know, some, uh, some person was just, they just jammed out something and they're like, you know what? I want to support this cause. And they dunked their game into there. You've got uh, some famous uh, indies, like, you know, you've got things like Overland in there and Night in the Woods, Vlambeer uh, stuff. Night in the Woods, Vlambeer. Like, th- there, there's just some really, really high quality stuff in there. And it's, it's like five bucks. Yeah. Like, f- five dollars. I mean, Although, I cannot, although this I may, cannot imagine. Yeah, the, the schedule though is like is, this will be unavailable by the time the podcast goes live unless they extend the the date yeah. on it. And given how well so it's re- doing, that would be that surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So ho- hopefully they extend it. But in any case, I mean, I think the main thing is just how impressive it is that they that because I, I think that the, to me the the really the takeaway was just how much how how unexpectedly that blew up because because there's this kind of idea out there that it's that it's really hard to sell indie games right and that nobody wants them. And they're a whole bunch of garbage, blah blah blah, right? And there's also ideas about out there about how hard it is to get get people to give money for causes and stuff, right? And a lot of what like humble bundle these things try to do is they try to kind of marry these concepts together, where they say, "Hey, like these these games might not otherwise like be into, and like maybe these charities you wouldn't just normally just directly give money to. If we hook those two things together, we might create this like this actual powerful incentive, so that now a whole bunch of people win out, right?" Um, mm-hmm. And I think this thing exemplifies the the power of that in this really cool way. Because if you look at the games in there, like there are there are some from some pretty well known uh, well known devs and some pretty well known titles. But for the most part, it's just it's just like eclectic indie stuff that are being mm-hmm. made by people, you know, solo devs in their basements, and you know, like as I said, over weekends or whatever, right? So it's, it's almost like an art collective kind of a deal. Um, but by yeah, well, pairing that with with a thing that people really care about. Cause like, cause I'm trying to think of another thing that, that I've, I've heard about for this same cause in particular that has collectively raised six and a half million dollars. Right. Like, Nope. Yeah. I mean, so, it's, so it's you, not, you hear about individual celebrities like dropping a million right. dollars or something like that, but yeah. No, and if they, if no. they had just made that bundle and just said, Hey, this is a bundle. You can just buy it for five bucks. And that was it. I can't see it generating six and a half million dollars of revenue, right? No. But by no. marrying these two things together, you actually get it's, it's, so they, I think it's just kind of a very cool demonstration of the power of of this stuff and the and the power of the power of games and also the power of of indie games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's really cool. And if, if it's still available, you should definitely go get it. And if not, you should still go see what was in there and then maybe just go scope some of it out and and support some developers. And of course also support Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just you can do that separately but um yeah everyone's one reminded about just how much people care stuff there is out there yeah. you know like because i think about it like yeah. with movies you know with movies yeah. like you always think of the big you know the, the blockbuster mm-hmm. stuff that's what you advertise that's what you go see and there's that there's that co- the collection of people who go watch indie movies right and it feels like there aren't very many but certainly there must be a fuckload right and games yeah. is actually oh, yeah. the same space you know there's a fuckload of stuff out there people doing really weird interesting things uh and just have getting to see that highlighted again in this really big way um it was very neat. And frankly, I mean, the only other time that you can get nearly 2000 of something for $5 is when you buy a bag of rice. But <laughs> yeah, that's also like, true. That is, that is such an, a ridiculous number of yeah. things to get for $5. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so that's, that's a very cool thing. And it does, it does make me, uh, you know, proud to be part of this industry. Um, and and seeing that that forward thinking and, and awareness and willingness for people, both both the developers to uh, put their games in there of a platform like Itch to put this together, and of course of all the people who said, yeah, like I want to support this. Yeah, that's a lot of people so, showing up. A lot of people, right? Yep. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so. Kudos all around. Uh, We'd also like to, before we go into questions, talk a little bit about The Last of Us 2, just in the fact that apparently it's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's so rare that you see something, and it's not even out yet, it comes out, I think, into this week. Um, But uh, but all the the previews are in from from all all of the press, and it's just straight tens out of tens, fives out of fives. And this is such a rare, I think God of War is the last one I remember, kind of hitting that... Mm -hmm. God level. of War, I think yeah. Breath of the Wild was before that. And yeah, Breath of the Wild, yeah. yeah. Yeah, these are these these are so rare that you hit that level of consensus opinion where everyone is just, you know, blown away. People um, are just like, there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. This, yeah. So it did everything. I did not my jaw didn't get tired while I was chewing the peanuts. <laughs> you know, like just Well, and of course, once around. it hits players, it's gonna be a different story because the players are gonna be the ones, you know, complaining about how much they yeah, chew those peanuts. That's true. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so, I, so mostly I'm just very impressed. I think that's who's is that Naughty Dog? Is that who makes yeah 
Last of yep. Us. So, so huge congrats to Naughty Dog for what I'm sure was a very painful development <laughs> and release process. Yep. And they've been mm-hmm. under fire for a lot of stuff because uh, all of the sexists have come out of the woodwork um, about about this game in particular and mm-hmm. have been harassing their employees. So, so huge congrats to them for making it through all of that and then putting together just a fucking apparently spectacular game. So good, in fact, that I'm going to I'm gonna have to buy a PlayStation, but I'm going to wait until this next generation mm-hmm. so that I can come back and play games like this. Yeah, because, you know, no offense to PS4, but nobody wants a hard drive. No. So slow. Ugh. No. no it, we'll, we'll wait for the solid state drive generation to yep. uh, to hit the, hit the show. And it's just around uh, the corner. Who has four seconds, you know, nobody. to wait for a loading screen? Uh, nobody. I'm not made of time. All right, let's get on <laughs> to questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest uploaded question comes from Chalosis who says, what are some pie-in-the-sky feature ideas from early on in Levelhead's development that never made it in? <laughs> oh, well, man. Well, the, yeah, the, the biggest what? one is yeah. the story, or like, like the, the overworld. Oh, yes. Yeah. So oh, man. Gonna, yeah, it's going to be a Pokemon-style sh- overworld. Yeah, people from the Shenanicon, I think, actually saw, right? To be sure oh, that that's true. That yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Are we yeah, like we two Shenanicons ago? Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. when we were like six months in. So we'd actually prototyped it. And what it was, was you actually had a character. So you, your, your employee body was there. And you would actually wander around the, the world. Like, yeah, like, like like that main menu was not going to – like the main menu picture that you see in Levelhead of the campus was exist. not – wasn't going to be there. It was going to be a, a physical place. And you'd you, have to like walk over to the rumpus building yeah. to log in and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then, the tower had floors, and you would take the elevator like up and down the tower, which is to actually why it's a tower because it because the the main menu sort of is the distillation of all the ideas that we had for the, mm-hmm. for the yep the overworld. And but the best thing was that you would battle other employees by your gr your gr eighteen is just following you around, and then you would go talk to someone, and then they would like you know say some shit, and you'd throw down, and so you'd have to play through all of their levels that they had they had themselves, so. They could have it's just like Pokemon up to like five or six levels, like ten to fifteen minutes of content, basically. Uh, and then you would have to defeat all of their levels uh, with a certain amount of lives or something. I can't remember exactly how we did it, but it was something where we, it was equivalent it was to gonna, HP. It was going to be that your your GR eighteen uh, had a had a battery, and every time yeah. it respawned, it used a little bit of its battery. And so, so you would basically have to like go out and try to uh, try to defeat. Basically, yeah, you were going out trying to move, work your way up the corporate ladder by impressing uh, other employees, mm-hmm. right, and get and get promotions by showing how good you were at training your GR eighteen. Yep. But of course, if your battery died, then your GR eighteen didn't work anymore, and you had to go recharge it before you could go try again. Yeah, so the thing is, like, I love the concept. The problem is, the problem is when you think about how much content, think about how many battles exist in something like Pokemon. There's a shit ton of them, right? If you take each person has anywhere from one to six Pokemon available that you could burn through, uh, probably averaging around three, I would imagine. Uh, and there's literally hundreds of these people in any given uh, uh, Pokemon game. And what we quickly realized while we were working on is one is, of course, you know, we love building worlds, but it didn't seem like it would be necessary to get the overall point of level head across, which is building levels. Uh, so it's the, again, one of those, maybe this is an extra feature, even though it's cool sort of things. But the biggest one was the realization that unless we were going to build these levels procedurally, there was no way to build enough content in this, for this sort of context to have it not feel weird. Cause if you think about the whole campaign, the whole campaign is like 93 uh, levels or 94 levels, something like that. Mm-hmm. If you just divide those up over like just three at a time over people, that's just like 30 people. Like if you want to, if you want a place to feel like a, that doesn't feel like. Oh, it's not well, enough. It's just not enough. And so we were like, this, it would literally have to be like 10x that. Yeah. The idea is just didn't have like ha- having levels that you play in the battle context just didn't, just didn't quite work. It was, it was one of those, it would be cool if, yeah. but not, but it wouldn't be cohesive or sensible or cost effective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But importantly, we uh, did prototype it. Uh, we before did. even yeah. like, we didn't we even had walk a all the way down. Yeah. We didn't even walk all the way down that to that point of being like, uh, would this be realistic in terms of content development? We actually just prototyped it uh, within like a day or two of thinking about it. It was 
It, it was, was pretty, pretty fucking awesome. It was yeah. very fun. Yeah, and and we had like the the characters whose levels you you played. Um, they they, they, they would, would talk have, in between each level. Yeah. So like, oh yeah, I forgot. About you would that. you would start playing the level. The the title of the level would come in, and then the character's face would pop in, and they'd be like, "Let's see if you can get past my spike trap." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you beat then, it. They'd be like, "There's no way." You get past this one, and then you get thrown into the next level, right? And so, yeah, I, then we, yeah. And we had like one character just made just really terrible, boring levels, but was like super pumped about them and thought that they would definitely, you definitely would be able to beat these like dead simple levels. And so, yeah. it, it gave us a, a huge range of opportunities to tell story and tell jokes and have like fun characters and stuff. And so that, that was a part of house. Yeah. yeah, and that was a part that I think that it's it's kind of a bummer there wasn't a way to marry those that was feasible, you know. Yeah, Honestly, there there is. It just would have needed another year. Yeah, yeah. Of well, that's what yeah, I mean by know. the feasible part, right? It was just too costly to do it. Yeah. Um, well, because yeah. there's there's no necessarily there's not necessarily a good reason to think that that would make the game more appealing. No, uh, I I mean I think it, it to me to me it's a, it's a unique uh, differentiator. You know, it's a, it's a unique selling point. It, it it builds the world in it, and I I still believe that if if we had done that if we had been able to do that it would have been pretty incredible uh just because yeah, like what else know. is there like that you know uh it and, and of course we would put its own angle on it that is certainly true yeah but mm-hmm. even even just I, I i feel like one of our one of our strengths as a studio is just like all of the the characters and in goofy jokes you know and having all of these uh people who are out wandering around in the Bureau of Shipping whose levels you get to play um, is just so cool. But but I, I do think that that one of the things we learned over the course of Level Head's development was, was that we were putting so much emphasis on the campaign that we really shouldn't have, you know, because we only needed the campaign to be enough to have like a good set of cohesive levels that provide challenges and teach the game. But we don't want to have an infinitely deep set of features in the campaign because that that's what it's the not the point. That's what the online levels are yeah. for, right? Yeah. And we and the the more engaging the campaign is, the less reason people have to go play other people's levels, and then that kind of kills the ecosystem. So there's a balance to strike there. And so, but anyways, I mean that was that was I think probably the biggest that's the pie in the sky yep. feature. Yep. We also had a bunch of game modes. Um, so we had a golf mode. Oh yeah. With a round package that was a ball, we had, and we had flop uh, rocket mode, which was that was the one that I was very excited about, and I'm still kind of bummed we don't have because the because I still love just how flop rocket plays, just as a as a control scheme in terms of how mm-hmm. you interact with a, with a you know player character, and and being able to craft levels for that, especially because we allow you to go vertical also. Um, so, so given all the all the really fun weird stuff that we have for setting up levels. Um, being able to interact with the level in that way specifically, I thought would have been really spectacular. And we, and, we, have, and like, we have prototypes of it, so like we got to play it. It was very. fun. It exists. Mm-hmm. It's fun, um, but it, but it's um, it causes it, a tremendous number of problems. It's <laughs> the yeah. short way. To yeah, say. <laughs> yeah, and and so does the golf. Like the the golf worked about sixty percent because one of the one of the fundamental things you'll see in a, like a mini golf game or a, a golf game, whatever is, you know, you hit the ball and when the ball stops moving, that's when that's where it lies. Right. And then that's where your next hit starts. What about a game like Levelhead, where you've got treadmills and bumpers and bouncers and, and basically, basically things that could trap the ball in an infinite loop of movement. Uh, like now you've got to figure, now you need like expiration timers. It's like, oh, the ball's been trapped for five seconds. So mm-hmm. now we're going to, or do you let the player just like it. reset it, whatever they want and just add a stroke to their thing. But then they get penalized for goofy physics that we programmed. Yeah. So, so yeah. there's, and there's, so there's all kinds of stuff, but, but we got, we had it fully implemented. So it was like a turn-based thing. Uh, and then the, the creators, it would keep track of your strokes and then time. So there was like a speed running element to it. Um, and then par became the number of strokes that it took the creator to, to beat the level in. But it is the case though, that like some of the, the most fun stuff of the, uh, the core game, like the power-ups and the combat, like that doesn't exist in golf mode. You know, it's just a whole other thing. And, uh, we just kind of found that making one really, really good game is, it already is hard. And then doing it four times is, you know, four times as hard. It takes four, four times the resources. So we, we just decided to streamline and, and work on the stuff that uh, we thought would sort of galvanize the, the player base the most, which is the core game. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Gear Whip Toppy Beep. Would you ever, under any 
circumstance, except a buyout or merger with a larger game studio. I ask because I'm surprised at how willing many indie devs are to join a huge company and completely change their workflow. Uh, well, the, the comment there was under any circumstance. So the answer there is a square yes. There would be circumstances oh, yeah. under which we would we would do it. Um, one of them is if we were just tired, you know, and uh, and wanted out. Yeah. If you've been doing this for 30 years and you say, hey, you know, we want our IP to keep living on. Yep. Uh, but like we're – our bones are hurting now. Yep. Our, our, <laughs> eyes, our eyes hurt too much. We can't program anymore. Can't do art, you know, whatever. It's and at a certain point, you know, it's like we need to hand this off to a, a capable uh, young studio. person. More, <laughs> more resources. Uh, more cartilage. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right, right now that is the – that we and we we have had these kinds of conversations with with larger studios or larger companies who come to us and say like hey we we like what you guys are doing and where you're going do you want to talk about um investments uh, do you want to talk about a buyout do you want to talk about ownership right basically buying equity um mm-hmm. the thing about the thing about equity though is People always people always think about the upfront, right? Like somebody comes in and they're like, I want to give you X dollars and I want to be a 10% owner of your company or whatever. That person doesn't want to never see their money again. Yeah. They want to they want to, they want get to see it 10 back times out. that much money back as soon as possible. They want to mm-hmm. get it out. They want it to grow and then they want to take it out. <laughs> so, yeah. Which means at some point um, you're gonna have to give that person that money back. But but actually yeah. not just that money, a whole bunch more than that. Yeah, and on, it's a on top of it's that, just a loan. It's it equity is a fake loan. It's a, yeah, it's a zero interest loan. Yeah. Um, well, that's actually a much higher interest loan, really, but with an indeterminate uh, buyout date, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 there's also you know once somebody's a part owner, then there's questions about uh, input and who gets to decide how, things. Who gets to decide things and and the stance we've kind of taken on this is, and we, we've also seen it tons of times. We've seen. I'm, I'm not going to name uh, specific uh, companies, but like we've we've personally have have talked with plenty of, of indie developers who were part of smaller studios, ended up getting bought by large companies uh, who were working on expanding their IPs, and oftentimes these these smaller studios would get tasked with like, okay, you're going to make the next game for our major IP, but it turns out that there were actually like nine studios all making games for that IP. And the goal mm-hmm. of the large company was to say, uh, it's cheap for us to pay these indie devs because they work for peanuts. And so we're going to hire a whole bunch of teams and whichever team is making the best progress after a year, that's the one we'll go with. And we'll just, we'll just shut down the rest of the studios. Yep. We've seen this happen dozens of times. Yeah, because it could be um, cheaper for a large company just to buy a, a small company than, than to actually do the work themselves or to even hire the company to do the work. Right. Yeah. And so what you have to understand is is if you get bought out, you are not a, a company anymore. You're an investment. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. what your studio is. Your studio is now somebody else's investment and they're looking for a payout. And if if it, at any point it looks like that payout isn't going to come, they will sh- shut it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, it's over. Like they'll, they'll sell the assets and they're like, "Well, this didn't work. It's over. Now we're going to sell everything off and and try to get some of our money back, right?" Yeah. Yeah. But as far uh, as the why, cuz the whole point of like this person has seen seen a bunch of indie devs who have who have done this. Uh I think people don't it's very easy to think that doing running your own thing is just going to be awesome. Uh but the reality is this is stressful as fuck. Mm-hmm. Most of yeah. the time, and and I and I think it's been weird because like I, I have quite a few friends who are who you know they do like really cool work stuff right they might be engineers or like work on these big projects but all of them are in big companies every single one of them and and it's become clearer and clearer over the years that when we talk about things like what you do on the weekends what you do on your evenings whatever else uh, they're they're operating in just a just a fundamentally different space. Where yes, they have to be very concerned about like basically you know corporate politics, which is annoying as all hell for them. That's its um, own thing. Yeah, it's its own. Yeah, that's that's the other hell on the other side. But <laughs> um, but the reality is like they don't, they're not constantly concerned about the company's direction and or and the company the, staying afloat or yeah or whatever. all this other stuff. So you're you're sort of a 
in in a big company, you're you know you're a ship on the ocean, right? And you're, you just whatever happens, like you got to go. So if that, because also large companies buy each other too, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, so I've got I've got a friend locally who's like who is part part of a, of two enormous companies that just merged together, right? And those always create huge questions about what's going to happen now. So there is still lots of uncertainty that happens uh, in large companies, but it's less – it's not day-to-day uncertainty except maybe just with the politics part, right? And, and that, that just shouldn't be set aside gently because that's – that could be pretty it's intense annoying, and traumatic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it's, yeah, it, it's different kinds of problems that, that you're dealing with and it is – running your own company, running an indie studio is not is not uh, a thing that you that you can do for fun, Right. Because like like it's not it's your job it's your job and and I think it's it, it's recognizing the fact that the only time you should sell out is if you're willing to lose to, if you're willing to li- literally lose your company right that is the only condition on which you should sell your your company uh, because it's recognized coming from the other side that the other entity who wants to buy you they're looking to make money somehow like that that is why they're doing that and so almost no indie companies out there are ones that somebody else would even try to buy right. Yeah, they don't make and enough ours, money. They don't make enough money. And ours, somebody might try to invest in, but they wouldn't want to buy. And the reason they wouldn't want to buy it is because the moment they buy it, our relationship to the company changes a lot. And this is too small of a company where if if the three of us were not running it anymore, the company would go away. Right? That would just – that would be that. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a high incentive for somebody to buy the company unless they wanted the intellectual property. But our IP isn't valuable enough for somebody to give us like a fuckload right. of money. We're, in that, we're in that kind of no man's land of yeah. – <laughs> People know we can do the work, so they'll want to pay us to do the work for them, or they'll want to buy stake in the company because they think that maybe we'll turn this thing into something big in the future, right? But yeah, so so I think it's one of those things too that you have to realistically ask the question of just what does it mean for somebody, for an indie team, for an indie studio to to start partnering? Because I, I would think of this as a partnership question, like what, what are the mm-hmm. partnership opportunities available? What do they mean? And if the partnership is a buyout, then that is the one where you have to be ready to lose just to lose your company and walk away. And so yeah. for me, the time when we'd be willing to do that is basically we've we have no other options, and then for some reason somebody still wants the company, which would be very a weird scenario to be in, right? Uh, or like you said, you know, that we're just the IP tired. is or, or that the the IP is is strong enough, but we don't have the ability to move it ahead yep, anymore. Right. Yeah, yep. Um, and somebody else with more resources, like if if we wanted it to be, you know, Crashlands the movie, or yeah. you know, what level head the I don't know. Toys. But even that, if like if, if we were big enough for that to matter, we would just we would just license that stuff out, right? We wouldn't actually sell the whole company in order to get that kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, but but if you want more resources, so if you're because we, we've seen companies get bought up by like Microsoft and by by Valve, for example, right? Because they just wanted access to more resources, which is frankly a perfectly valid reason to do that. Again, under the under the the awareness that you might lose everything as a consequence, right? So if you have a, if like, if you're a small team, you're really good. There's some huge thing you want to make and you don't have the runway for it. And there's no one, there's no publisher in a million years who would give you that runway and so on and so forth. Right. But there's some company out there who like thinks that that's going to pay off and they want to invest in you and are willing to do it by buying your company. That could be a good move. I I think a a good, uh, a good book. If you're, if you're, if you're a person who wants to go off and do your own thing somehow, and you're interested in these questions about like, what's a buyout for? Or like, wh- how does how does the business side of these things work? Or or what just what does it even mean to run your own business? Because like Sam was saying, there's a lot of there's a lot of fantasy to it, uh, a lot of romanticizing about like, oh, I get to be my own boss and all these things. There's this great book called The E Myth. That's the letter. Oh yeah, e. I forgot about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the letter E and then a dash. And then myth, M-Y-T-H. I think it's um, E for entrepreneur maybe. Yes. Would, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the core premise of this book is it, it talks about the realities of what it looks like to go in and start your own business. And, and they, they use a great example that they kind of uh, loop back to periodically with the idea of this, this person who loves making pies. And mm-hmm. she was very so good, good at it. Mm-hmm. So good at making pies. And all of her friends were like, dude. Your pies, are so, your pies are so fucking good. I would buy these pies. I would, I would pay you for these pies. And uh, she, she hears this so much and she doesn't like her day job. And she's like, maybe I could sell these pies. Starts up a pie shop. Uh, pretty soon, in short order, she finds that 
only like 5% of her time is going into making pies because she's running a business all day. She's like, mm-hmm. oh, she's got to get in super early, start baking. She's got to clean the place. She's got to clean the bathrooms. She's got to do taxes now. She's also an accountant. She's got to talk to lawyers. Mm-hmm. She's got to work with city regulators to make sure her building is up to code, you know? And, uh, and eventually she's, she's hiring, you know, five or six people to work at her company. And they're the ones making the pies, but they're not any good because she's the one who, mm-hmm. who's good at mm-hmm. making the pies. And now she just has what she just has a bad pie shop, right? Which wasn't her dream. <laughs> a very uh, stressful bad pie shop. Right? Yeah. Is, is your dream to be the manager of a bad pie shop? Uh, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> Which, and of course, so, doesn't mean that that's the only way that that could end up, right? But, well, no, the, the whole point of the book is to talk about how to keep that from being the, the yeah. place that you yeah. end up. And that's by recognizing um, the reality that, that running a business is not, it, that, that whole, the whole concept of like selling out um, is one that I, that I just hate on, on every level. Like it I, is only the things that fans who pay small amounts of money toward someone say to that person uh, later on in their life. Right. Yeah. How come that is not enough? Right. Or even, yeah. even if it's significantly <laughs> it is, more than that, right. It's, it's that, it's the whole idea of, yeah. Just, just the concept of selling out, right? Where you basically say, like, yeah, you've built up this thing, you've built up this intellectual property, you've built up this, this, uh, this company that has, you know, really good practices and training, et cetera, so that it could be, it could be grown or whatever. That you've built this thing, right? And and that you don't deserve to make the decisions that you think are best for that thing, right? Whether or even for yourself, or even for yourself, um, and yeah. that the decisions that that you're making should be the ones that. I want you to make, despite me not actually having any knowledge about what it means to run that thing. And like how I think about this with bands, right? Yeah. Uh, in particular, where, where this is the question all the time. Do you know how fucking hard it is to survive as a band? <laughs> like it is, if you think it's hard, hard to survive as a, as an indie game studio, uh, if you're a band, you can't even, you can't even make stuff for free. You know, like you can't, if you already have a laptop, you can, you can be an indie game studio now. Right. Um, but if you're, if you want to be a band, you have to go, tour you have to play at places right and you're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna that get cost, paid. that costs money it costs money and it, it costs money to get there and you're gonna be getting paid less than it's cost you to do it for basically the whole fucking time and if you're really yep. lucky and like and meet the right people and start moving up the right chain then maybe you get to go on a bigger tour which is a fuckload of can you imagine how much work that would be like just yep it'd be, it'd be, it'd be you're just, just gone you're just gone, gone for like you're, nine months right which like yeah, and, again, if, and if you, you have to love doing some the night, thing yeah you gotta love doing the thing but it's even if you no matter how much you love it that is a hard fucking thing to do. And if someone came to you after all of this, like you're building all this stuff up and they said, okay, uh, we're going to bring you on to our company. We're going to start managing this stuff for you. And mm-hmm. to do that though, you're going to have to follow like, here's the things that we're going to start requiring for me to make that happen. Cause of course it's gotta be, everyone's gotta win out somehow. Right. And, but then to have me on the other side being like, well, I loved that, that I love that band when they were just, when they were poor as dirt and working out of their garage, and could barely make ends meet and didn't know what their future looked like. and didn't have health insurance. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I want them to stay in that state. Like, that is I a like it when I could. I like it when I could. They're suffering through yeah, the exactly. yeah, Their music was better when it was born out of pain. Yeah, yeah. which, which uh, of course, in, in a lot of ways, is probably true, right? Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't give any of us, as the consumers of that product, the right to demand that a person continue to go through that pain and, and not get to get rewarded for for their efforts and successes and and the luck that they. Well, had. you know, I, I think I think. There is a, an aspect of the the selling out, which to me is basically it's the idea of betraying your principles for for a certain price, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which which I don't think I don't think people use the term properly, right? Yeah, like like if it is the case that a band uh, as they as as the years go by, maybe like their music starts to sound a little bit more uh, uh, like other bands' music or something like that. Uh, then there's this there's this idea that well they're they're changing their sound you know to try to broaden their appeal or whatever it's like that's not like a that's not like a core fundamental moral principle yeah that's them just doing marketing yeah well, <laughs> but also, but guess, it's, right? you're coming from the side now where you're saying like I want them to make less money so that they and to be less successful so that fewer people can enjoy the stuff that they make but where I'm one of those people right. Which again, right. it's just an absurd. It's, it's an absurd just, stance to take. Yeah, come on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that one, Adam. I, mean, the, I think yeah. the general point is like, as an indie, I guess this is the really important note. As an indie, if someone shows up and they're like, "We're going to give you a lot of money to either continue doing what you're doing, literally right now, uh, or to just come work at our company," 
Mm-hmm. I think given the reality of the – both the entrepreneurial experience, the indie experience, et cetera. It, it would be absurd to just walk away with that. Literally insane to yeah. not even entertain the conversation because yeah. like when you, when you look at the – like what's the point of a startup? Everyone talks about exit strategy yeah. at the beginning, right? They're also, like, you how, know, yeah. Do you know how, how many get indie out? studios make exactly one game? Mm-hmm. Basically every single one, <laughs> right? Yeah, because yeah. it's so fucking hard. It's so yeah. fucking hard, and, and then it doesn't pay off, right? And then that's that's it. That's the end of the that's the end of the dream. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I think I think it's a it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. You know, totally, totally right. reasonable. Yeah. yeah, I think I would just worry about it more from a business angle, which is just know if oh, yeah. you are if you are privileged enough to be in the situation where somebody is offering you money for your company or your game or whatever, uh, then first of all, that's fucking great, and you should be pumped about that. And second of all. The the goal of that other entity is is almost always to get the far money. better end of that deal, right? <laughs> so so you just have to be you have to walk in with open eyes and be very careful. And the moment you give up any rights to the thing that you've created, um, you have to understand the fullest extent to which that could come back, which could mean the complete destruction of your studio or even your IP, right? Uh, and and as long as you understand the fullest extent of the bad stuff that can happen, then if you think that's fine. Because it's Go worth the trade off. Because this is all this is all risk stuff, right? Uh, every single decision that we make is a risk reward trade off. Like whether, whether we're going to make you know Crashlands two versus some other game, whether we're going to spend two years on it or three, whether we're going to put it into Xbox Game Pass or or not, um, you know, like every single one of those decisions is 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 a risk reward decision, and there there isn't just an answer where we just win and everybody else doesn't or like or somehow everybody wins simultaneously and like everything is great and you know and like and there's no downside for anybody anywhere uh, that's just yep. not how any of this works it's it's always looking for, looking at upsides and downsides and just trying this to navigate is, it this is why you get yeah. tired after doing it for a while You're it's like, exhausting i would like, love I want this to be someone tell me what to do and i, will I want this to be tired. someone else's problem yeah, yeah we're still wanna... having discussions about whether we should be doing crashlands 2 or not right yeah because like we announced that we are and like and we really want to and we still think we're going to, but still once a week, we're like, oh, fuck, is this a good idea? You know, because it is. Well, we also know it's, we know it's going to take years. Yeah. And know? if we fuck that it's up, just, if that was the wrong decision, right? Then that, that may, that may be the end of the company. And so, they, so, so it's easy to think about this in terms of like, oh, you shouldn't have sold yourself to this other company because now that's the end. But often just making the next game actually was the thing that destroyed your company uh, or the next product in the more general sense, right? Um, yep. So, yeah. Yeah, and and as since we're not a giant multinational conglomerate, um, you know, if if Tide makes their next, uh, you know, bubblegum flavored cleaning lollipop, uh, <laughs> yep. uh, that's that is point like it's a, a fraction of a fraction of a percent of yeah. their total. We're not large portfolio. enough to be able to absorb the risk associated yeah. with yeah. this. Yeah, so we we fuck up one thing at our scale. And that's it. Well, also, yeah, yeah so, at our large scale is when it comes to people because we have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and our own families as well as our employees and their families, right? Um, and so, but if you're if you're a huge company and an entire division fails because a product launch was not successful or whatever, and there's like maybe a couple hundred people there, there's a pretty good chance that all those people get to stay in the company. They just get moved to a they different just get moved to another division. Yeah. They don't lose any institutional knowledge. Nobody loses employment. And actually, everything comes out still fine, right? And and actually, all of the losses are just on the bottom line for the company as an entity, right? Yep. And nobody's really hurt, right? But when you're at the small company level, that's just not that is not how failure works no. at all. High risk, high risk. Everything is high risk. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything you could ever want out of life. Yep. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.